You're listening to the What Do You Actually Do podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview, a useful tip or encouraging message to help you find your place in the professional world. Hello and welcome to this special episode of What Do You Actually Do? My name is Kate Morris and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the key career questions you need the answers to if you're graduating this year. Today, we're joined by Dr. Enrico Ruta, lecturer in public and social policy at the University of York. So in the spirit of the show, Enrico, what do you actually do? Well, if you ask my two-year-old daughter, she would say that I speak to people on the computer, which summarises it quite neatly because I've spent many, many uh, weeks and hours in Zoom meetings and all sorts of things like that. But normally, if things are normal, I teach students online uh, and on campus, undergrads and postgrads, um, in public policy, in social policy, in public administration, so around public services. And um, I have a special interest in labour market policies and particularly self-employment and the challenges that this type of employment can create. So an interesting time for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, for today's episode, we've gathered the top questions being asked by students and we're going to revisit some of the insights and experiences shared by our podcast guests throughout the pandemic so far. So let's hear the first question. Which industries have struggled in the pandemic and are there any which have thrived? So it's a great question from Taylor. And looking back from this year, we've got some insights from a range of people reflecting on the impact of COVID on both their sector and their role. When the pandemic hit, in some ways we were already ready for it because we work from home so much as a business. Admittedly, a lot of the events that are usually be running and planning and making happen um, are on pause at the moment. Um, so a lot of it is around, if you will, more of the, the back end stuff, just keeping everything um, ticking over from an administrative point of view. As someone who works in the technology sector, I think it's so interesting where the pandemic will take us because um, things like Teams and Zoom, they're going to become the norm. It might reduce not only the carbon footprint, especially in my business, but also I think it'll help us save so much time because there are some projects I spend up to 10 hours a week traveling for, which wow. I'm not gonna lie, are not fun. We're at the real sharp end here because you know so much of the stuff we do might be live music, concerts and suddenly we've we've had to pivot and adapt our entire business strategy to being much more digitally uh, focused much more virtual experiences and and suddenly that's that's changed an entire dynamic really pivoting our business and accelerating it in a way that hasn't happened before so there's a mixed bag there from the sound of it some sectors have pivoted quite well others they've had to sort of really change what they're doing from your perspective, Enrico, is there any sort of key standout sectors that have really suffered because of the pandemic and any that have particularly thrived? Yeah, I think that there are three points worth bearing in mind here. The first is that clearly any sector that is dependent very strongly on direct social contact, be it hospitality, uh, the leisure industries, um, uh, arts, uh, in this interview there, which is mentioned live music, for example, those have suffered, of course, quite substantially from the restrictions that had to be imposed uh, by the government on, on direct interpersonal contact. Whereas those sectors where this isn't a requirement and where perhaps the needs for those um, economic inputs, such as uh, IT, of course, also other types of, uh, of, of public services on which we have come to rely even more, you know, all those sectors in which the so-called key workers are, are active. So the basic infrastructure that has come to the fore as being really essential in, 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 in the pandemic. Those are the sectors that have not been suffering um, to the same extent. So it, it's very difficult to have 
a general assessment, but the main dividing line is indeed between those that uh, have been shut down substantially due to those uh, social contact restrictions. The second point is that, and this has also come through in those uh, in those comments, some industries or some companies, some businesses have been better able to adapt to the conditions of the pandemic. They have been better able to switch, let's say, to home working, to remote working. They have been able to find new ways of serving their customers uh, on, on virtual platforms, for example, whereas other sectors have found this much more difficult um, to, to arrange. The third point I wanted to make is that I think it's, it makes sense in this context to differentiate between uh, short-term and long-term issues. On the short-term side, it is clear that those uh, contact restrictions have led to a substantive uh, economic uh, slump and a mass massive uh, drop in, in, uh, in GDP. And it is assumed, of course, that many of those activities will resume as soon as um, the restrictions are lifted and the situation with respect to the pandemic is improving. So there is an expectation that things will go back, go back to normal. And this was just a kind of an intermediary period of, of, of difficulties. But then we also have more long-term changes. It is fair to say that some of the things that we could observe already in the longer run in the past, such as changes around how we work and where we work, um, changes as to um, which services, especially person-centered services around the work of care, um, are seen as particularly important. Those more long-term changes um, that have been already in the making for quite a while um, are, have arguably been uh, accelerated uh, by the pandemic. So if we try to understand which industries have been affected more or less, I think it helps a lot to differentiate between the immediate or short term uh, and the long term changes that are likely to continue to happen after COVID and where the COVID pandemic has rather been like a, a catalyst that has sped things up a little bit, if that makes sense. I think that's a really interesting point, actually. And I think that seems true with what's happening in the high street as well, because so many shops were shutting down, weren't they? because people were yeah. buying stuff online instead, like pre-COVID, but that has, you know, and there was talk in the media, like, oh, it's changing the high streets, et cetera. But then since COVID, it has just speeded up that whole process so much more. Yeah. And if you think about self-employed people, you know, if you're a self-employed delivery driver, which is a quite precarious uh, profession, but this is, of course, an, a, a kind of an economic activity that has thrived uh, because people have uh, ordered predominantly online. If, however, you are a, uh, a wedding party organizer, for example, uh, you obviously will have been affected very, very heavily by, by the pandemic. So it depends really very much on, uh, on, the, uh, on the impact of the social restrictions. Uh, on, on your business. Yeah, so I guess for students graduating now, there are still jobs out there. There are Not everybody has closed their business as a result of the pandemic. <laughs> of course, there are um, those who have massively suffered, but there are still opportunities out there. Um, and as you say, I think it's important to think about that short-term and long-term impact. And even if there's perhaps a need to change plans in the short-term, in the longer term, you could still pursue the thing that you're really interested in if it is something more people focused, events focused, that kind of thing. Okay, let's hear the next question, which is from Stephen. I don't know what jobs I can do with my degree or even what's possible now because of the pandemic. How can I make sure I don't make a mistake and get stuck in the wrong job? So lots of our guests shared that feeling of uncertainty about the future when they were graduating. So either because of the pandemic, a previous recession, or because they just didn't have a career plan. Let's hear from a few different people. I remember just wanting the guarantee of something being at the end of um, of university, because you kind of see this cliff coming at the end of third year and wonder what on earth you're going to do when you get to the end of it. 
and I think sometimes that can lead you to take to take a role that's maybe not exactly what you want but don't feel that pressure to make that first job straight from graduating be exactly the job that you always imagined that you would want to have. I think the thing with this kind of job is it very easily transfers into other types mm. of similarly related things as well. I am the most surprised person that I've ended up working in finance in a way because certainly when I first graduated I was the sort of person that thought that I would you know with a history degree if I go off and, and work in finance I, that I'm selling out in some way to, to what I've previously worked for. I think it's much more interesting to have worked in a couple of industries and had lots of trials and tribulations and learned from that experience than it is to go from university straight into a job and just go okay I'm, I'm content with this and do that for the rest of your life and there's nothing wrong with that and I think that's very admirable but I, I think that's not uncommon so I think there's some really interesting points there about the value in any experience but also I'm interested to hear your views Enrico on something that's been developing for a while now this concept of a portfolio career and the idea that people will make many career changes throughout their life rather than just having one particular profession that, you know, that's what you do for the next 40 years. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, this traditional career that you you train perhaps even on the job or do an apprenticeship or a study, and then you stay in the same profession and the same line of work for the rest of your life and then one day retire happily. I mean, this model is indeed uh, has become much more uh, kind of a, a, a rarity than, than it used to be in the past. And people are switching jobs more frequently. They change industry, they change the, the economic sector. And what is worth bearing in mind from a perspective of, of, of graduating students is that just having a degree is already a substantive advantage. And of course, there is a lot of discussion about this uh, graduate uh, premium being slightly eroded, but still uh, there is a very wide, wide range of jobs um, that are only open to people who have a university degree. And even if perhaps the first job that someone is getting is not exactly their dream job and is not exactly what they wanted to do. There are opportunities to move into or to accumulate experiences that then enable uh, people to get to the jobs where they perhaps wanted to go or to end up in a job where they didn't intend to go, but where they are nevertheless um, quite happy. And I think as often in, in those questions regarding work and employment, there is a degree of ambiguity. We have on the one hand in the UK, a very flexible labor market, which enables these kinds of transitions and um, facilitates the, the having a portfolio career, for example, combining different types of activities, either after another in kind of a linear fashion or at the same time, even which can be of course uh, very stressful. But the downside of course, of this flexibility is also that a number of jobs are not uh, very secure, not that very well paid. Um, so it is about navigating these quite difficult waters, but with a degree and with the skills that come with a university degree, it is much easier, if that's the right word, or less difficult to uh, navigate through those uh, quite tricky waters of the labor market. And the flexibility can be, you know, it can be an opportunity as well. It's, it's not necessarily always uh, a huge problem. And uh, even though it can, of course, impose a number of of, uh, of concerns and burdens upon people, if you, you kind of aim for this security that would come from a, from a more stable job. So it also depends to an extent on, on personality types, how much people can thrive in this more volatile um, and more insecure labour market. As a careers consultant, I see so many people who feel like really under pressure to make a decision about 
what they're going to do with their life. That's the feeling that I have to know. I have to have this epiphany of, you know, what is my vocation? There's so much choice, isn't there? Yeah. As well. Yeah. There really is. And of course, you know, the, the speed of the development of technology and so many other things that are changing around us all the time, there's new jobs and new sectors being created all the time as well. So I think you're right that having those transferable skills that you get from a degree allows you to adapt and change and be flexible to what's required rather than having that fixed training necessarily just on on one role and one profession. Um, And sometimes it does just take time to work it out and you have to test out a few things to find out what you do and don't like. It's hard to just necessarily think about that, imagine that, visualize it without any experience to, to help clarify those thoughts. And, and the way in which we work and the way in which um, skills and, and, and capabilities evolve over time and what the requirements are in different types of jobs is, of course, subject to quite substantive change. So if you are able to adapt, if you have the skills that enable you to learn and to be, in a sense, flexible in responding to changing working environments, for example, that gives you, of course, a quite substantive advantages uh, opposed to someone, as you said, uh, who has, has their specific set of skills and struggles with uh, adapting those and expanding those when necessary. We've got a question from Katie now. Let's hear that. I'm nervous about starting my first graduate job remotely. What's it like trying to learn a new role and get to know a company or a team without actually going anywhere? So we've spoken to a few recent graduates who started their professional careers during the last 18 months, as well as the president of an international company about how remote working actually works. One of the phrases that seems to go around is learning by osmosis, which is obviously a lot easier when you're in, in an office with your team. So you can not overhear conversations, but you're, you're kind of always exposed to all of everything that's going on. I have been able to talk to trainees who are kind of in years two and three who who have had um, experience of doing this pre-pandemic. I suppose one of the challenges of of the pandemic is you're not that exposed. Sometimes it does feel a little bit enclosed. You're in your own little bubble and doing tasks. But I mean, everybody is quite open to just calling each other or even just sending an instant message on Skype to, to figure out what needs to be done. So, I mean, it's very different to being in an office and being actually with it face to face with somebody but I mean it's definitely making the most of a bad situation. The notion of you know the nine to five five days a week in an office is I believe in our industry a thing of the past. Um, I think there's going to be a, a hybrid sense of working there as well where um, you know we, we will appreciate the uh, the balance that there is between bringing people together for creative collisions but also that there are many functions of our business that can be done remotely which is good both economically, socially and mentally for, for, the, for the workforce of the future. So I think it's quite a unique thing for, for recent graduates to, to start their career like this or for anyone who's getting a new job. It's, it's pretty strange to not meet any of your <laughs> colleagues in person and um, see what the office looks like. But it sounds like it's possible and also that is maybe not 
just a one-off thing because of the pandemic. What are your sort of perspectives on this, Enrico? I think it is challenging and it is quite um, a strange environment. And because you miss out on all those interpersonal um, relationships that you are building if you join a new team or a new company or a new organization and also this kind of tacit knowledge which isn't written down in, in the rule book but that you acquire just by being in the office this office osmosis that, that was mentioned there so I, I do think that there is something missing but you know there are ways for for, for uh, people who join a new organization and if you do a new job to nevertheless do well and I think there are two or three things which are quite essential the first is I know you might be missing out on those social interactions but in those virtual um, environments of, of working together in on, on virtual platforms or um, by communicating in, in all remote ways if you are professional if you show the degree of competence that you have for that new role if you are Secondly, collegiate friendly without being in any way kind of overbearing and uh, perhaps trying too hard to appeal um, in, uh, on, those, um, on those communication channels. If you, in a sense, focus on those things for which you have been employed, I do believe in the end, when the situation normalizes again, this will be a very solid foundation for building those more interpersonal relationships as well. So it is sort of kind of stripped back almost when normally you join a, a new place of work. There is a whole sort of things um, that, that are going on, social interactions, um, this office osmosis, uh, getting a footing into your new role, uh, showing that you know what you're doing, um, adapting to uh, all sorts of office routines. But in, uh, in this instance, given the constraints of, of the pandemic, I think focusing on just showing that you're competent, that you know what you're doing, being committed, and that you're collegiate and, and overall friendly is, I think, what is in within everyone's grasp and what lays a very good foundation for the future. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And it sort of demonstrates that you can start to build genuine relationships, even if it is virtually. From my work as a careers consultant, I've really got the impression that employers are handling this very differently. Some are great at providing alternative ways to induct new members of staff into the team and into the role. They're providing fun, sociable things, albeit remote, but they're still sort of finding that space to build the relationship and, and bond with each other. Others have been pretty poor, to be honest. So they've kind of not given clear instructions for things and left people to their own devices. So what I've taken from that is I think as a graduate, you need to think about what you want and need from the company and potentially be quite proactive in speaking to your line manager if you're feeling like it's not working and you're not kind of learning by osmosis and, and you're not understanding things, you're not knowing when you can speak up in virtual meetings, etc. So they are learning as well how to do this. It's new for many of them. Um, so I think not being afraid to think about, well, what factors would help me to feel more part of the team and more clear on what I'm supposed to be doing. And kind of, it's a way of showing initiative as well. If you can suggest kind of instruction manual or video guides or suggest groups of support or little sociable things that you could do on a Friday afternoon with each other, you know, being proactive, showing that initiative means that you will get the benefit of that, but it's also a way of standing out for the crowd and making that positive impression, as, as you mentioned there, Enrico. And I think it's also worth bearing in mind that this, and now it's not that new anymore, but those uh, remote meetings and virtual meetings and these kind of strange ways of working, those are new and different for the people who are in the job 
as well. So even if you're new to the company or to the organization, those challenges about how to conduct yourself in, in, in a Zoom or in a Microsoft Teams meeting, for example, they apply also to other people. So it is, has a kind of a, a almost an equalizing aspect to it as well. Yeah, that is true. Okay, so we've got a question from Ben now. I've heard graduate jobs are really competitive. The pandemic has interrupted my academic studies and prevented me from getting work experience. Will graduate employers still be interested in me? So this is obviously an issue that will concern many people graduating right now. And a number of our previous guests have shared how there's value in any experience, even if you don't get your dream role straight out of university. What I would say to to students coming out of academia is just that there's a need to be flexible. There are very few roles that allow you to go straight into to the job you want yeah. um, and competition for those is, is quite extreme. Sometimes as employers we can you know we can be very forgiving about academia if you come with a passion and a sense of enthusiasm. I mean that that can separate people out and certainly if it comes down to the you know the academic qualifications are all kind of the same for mm. a group of people you're seeing. The enthusiasm, the passion, the drive the willingness to roll up the sleeves and get stuck into things, that is really worth its weight in gold. If you're looking at big organisations, then take the opportunity to, to get in where you can, get yourself known, mm. and that's a good way of sort of building reputation and, um, and getting more opportunities there. I think I've learnt that I've applied for roles that are, have been a bit more kind of out of my comfort zone over the last sort of 10 years and I have failed. I have failed at getting jobs that I thought that I was really good at but each failure has made me think more about kind of what makes me happy and what do I want to do next in my career. So this issue of competition and again this pressure to sort of get that ideal graduate role as, as soon as you leave that that's still hanging around for a lot of people what's your perspective on this Enrico? I think it is it is of course correct that the labour market is highly competitive and the more attractive a job is that the more competitive it is and uh, competition is something that runs through uh, our societies to a very large extent. If you think about you know, uh, getting into a uh, university or if you think about the league tables, which are everywhere for all sorts of, uh, of schools and, and universities, companies, everything is rated and there's always a degree of competition. So this is something, whether you like this or not, um, it is a fact of life. It is something that is, mm. is very strongly embedded in, in how we live. I think when it comes to jobs and finding a footing into the labour market is indeed, as we said before, quite fundamental to remain relatively flexible without losing sight of what you want to achieve. So trying to map out a path that leads you, hopefully, to the point where you want to be, but being relatively open about intermediary steps that might not be perfectly in line with your with your dream job and uh, the lack of work experience for example or the disruption to uh, gaining work experience due to the pandemic is of course something that will affect many people but again in the fact that this is a problem for a very large number of people also lies a bit of a chance because it means that you uh, if you as an individual are affected by this you won't be the only one who is suffering from from this and i think there is another aspect uh, in addition to the ones that were mentioned in um, in in, the, in those other contributions it's that there is often a discussion around the end of work or the idea that you know we, we, we might be running out of things to do and that uh, we might end up in a situation where there's simply nothing else to be done anymore because of um, technological progress or uh, because of outsourcing of production to countries far far away but I think if anything the, the pandemic and, and the discussions around 
um, how we live together have shown, um, there is a substantive amount of work that needs to be done in the foreseeable future. If you think about the ecological transformation that will need to take place to tackle climate change and all those problems, mm -hmm. if you think about the ways in which we rebuild um, the country uh, after uh, after this uh, this pandemic, how we ensure that, for example, key concerns of, of of social groups are taken into consideration. You know, if you think about the importance of voluntary sector organisations, that has been has become so much at the to the forefront um, in in recent months. If we think about the digital skills, if we think about the infrastructure that we need to build in in, uh, for example, around as I said, ecological transformation, but also with respect to information and communications technologies, there is a very very wide range of, of areas of, of work of economic activity that will become and uh, will become even more relevant uh, than they are at the moment so there is a lot of things to be done and and of course you need to find employment you need to find a place where uh, you are paid for those activities but the idea that we are running out of work that we are running out of things to do and that there is a general scarcity of uh, of uh, of work that we need to do is in my view not not very convincing which is not directly helping, of course, uh, if you're in this competitive labor market, but it provides a degree of more long-term assurance that things are not necessarily only going downhill, if uh, if you want to use that expression. Yeah, and I think students I sort of meet, when they sort of talk about competition, they're almost talking themselves out of a shot at it. And it's kind of just because something's competitive doesn't mean you don't have a chance. And speaking to lots of graduate employers over the years, not just at the moment, a key thing that everybody's interested in is someone's attitude. They say they recruit on attitude. So if you've got that positive attitude that you're you're genuinely interested in the work and what the organisation does, that enthusiasm and interest goes a really long way um, and could potentially offset areas that you've sort of felt less competitive in. Okay, so let's hear now from Anna. I'm not really sure how to break into the sector I'm interested in, as I haven't had the chance to do work experience or build up any contacts. Is there anyone who can help me? So many of our guests have shared stories about the power of asking for help and the benefits of networking. It's sometimes in unexpected contexts. I found on LinkedIn somebody who had gone to USC as well. I saw that she worked at Ancestry. I just thought, you know, I'll just try to message her and maybe she'd just be receptive to talking a little bit more about the company, you know, just in a, a low-key kind of way. I have been amazed at how generous people are with their time and their experience. If you're thinking about doing a job, I use LinkedIn a lot. You know, look around, work out who you know, or look up people who you're interested in, and frankly, reach out and ask for advice. You'll be amazed at how many people would help. She was just so amazingly friendly and helpful, and we had a chat with each other. She really helped me kind of confirm that, like, yeah, this is something that I should go for. Even in the most mundane task or mundane job or when you think, oh great, I'm being sent down the road, you know, to go and pick something up as a junior. But you never, you know, the, the point is, you could meet somebody interesting on that journey. You can meet somebody when you're going in and picking something up for your agency that you work for, you know, at 11 o'clock at night on a pitch or something. And suddenly you're like, there's, there are creative collisions that happen. I, I'm a firm believer in it that happen for a reason. So the concept of networking is something 
people often have such negative connotations of kind of thinking of you know people in a shiny suit very corporate eating executive nibbles and it's all very business related but in reality these the building of relationships kind of learning from others is so important not just at the start of your career but throughout it have you sort of explored much about the power of networking relationship building in the work that you research Enrico? Not directly I, I, w- I will admit but I I agree that networking comes in in many different forms and, and shapes and depending on, on the industry or the area of work and of course there are those cases where it aligns very much with as you said and kind of standing around in a nice suit and, and nibbling canapes and um, making small talk but of course networking is always coming you know, in, in a way that uh, that is aligned with the area of work that you're in so it might be about uh, a discussion around a shared interest you might go to a conference uh, you might go to um, a, a, a a meeting of a professional association and might be able to meet with people who work in the same area and have those shared interests and that uh, I think what is quite striking there from my own personal experience is that how generous um, more senior or more advanced um, people in their career usually are with their time so if you approach them if you ask them questions about I know this from from academic context for example if you go to an academic conference and you meet someone who's written a very interesting paper or who has a very long-standing career in a certain field of study they are usually very friendly and are more than happy to uh, give you advice or um, share some some uh, some recommendations with you or to to stay in touch with you even um so i do think that being again not too hung up about this more negative view of networking helps a lot and really adapting to the kinds of networking that are relevant to the area of work that you're aiming for as a as a graduate i, I do admit though though that it's also so, of course, to some extent, hard work, and it is harder work for some than for others. It depends, again, very much on personality type, how easy it comes to you to reach out to others and to be more outward going. And I think it is also quite useful, without having a negative view of networking, to also kind of provide some reassurance to those who perhaps struggle with this a little bit and who can't go as far out in their networking uh, activities uh, than others. Uh, I very much believe that in the end, of course, it is important to know people and to have those contacts and to learn from each other. But in the end, and this goes back to what I said earlier, the uh, the idea of, of just being good at your job, at being competent, at being also passionate about it, of going beyond the minimal call of duty when necessary, to really be committed to what you want and to just show to your colleagues and the people with whom you're working that you are that you know what you're doing and that you aim to contribute substantially to the organization or to the company. I think that also goes a a very long way. And um, the final thing I want to say is that it is also worth acknowledging, at least again in my personal experience, that career paths, if you want to use that word, often have a, a degree of randomness to them as well. So sometimes an opportunity arises that nobody has foreseen. It just pops up. And if you if you grasp it, that might be a good opportunity. And there is often, uh, you know, you, you can plan to some extent, and it is important to have a plan and to prepare yourself for what lies ahead. But often it is also uh, as silly as this may sound about keeping your eyes open and uh, acknowledge that sometimes life is unpredictable or very often actually life is unpredictable and that applies to work life as well and things are perhaps emerging opportunities are emerging that uh, you haven't foreseen and uh, it is then quite, quite worth checking whether they are worth pursuing um, and keeping an eye open on these um, is I think very very important as well so you can be strategic you can be tactical you can focus on networking and building those connections but at the same time Um, Sometimes things just happen and they can also have a very positive impact 
on uh, a career path. Yeah, I agree. I think seizing opportunities when they come up and not even if you don't know where they're going to lead is such a powerful thing to do. I think on that point about personality type having an impact on networking and how you build relationships, I think one of the benefits of the development of of platforms like LinkedIn you can do online networking now. So you don't have that scary thing where you're standing in a big room full of loads of different people who you don't know, feeling like you're an imposter. Um, It's just you can sit at your computer and think about the message that you want to send to somebody and, you know, it's on your terms. And again, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic is it's now normal to have an online meeting. So if you prefer to sort of take it slowly and not organize a big sort of face-to-face thing and go to an event, actually just organizing a phone chat or a Skype or whatever with the person that you're interested in can be still as valuable as physically going to a film festival, a conference, a networking event, whatever it is. So there are still those opportunities, regardless of personality type or what other responsibilities you've got in life if you've got children or if you've got a disability that prevents you from sort of getting out and about as much so I think taking advantage of these platforms um things like LinkedIn we've got at your car your profiles and mentors where you can kind of network with past graduates and I know lots of other universities have that too so it's just looking out for these opportunities to build relationships in a way that you feel comfortable with but still allows you to to learn from other people's experience. And of course, that's part of the point of this podcast is that you can hear from different people and get an insight into their jobs in a really low risk way um, as a starting point. And then it gives you that hook to follow somebody up if you wanted to. Okay, so let's move into our sixth and final question now from Lisa. I want to know how to future proof my career. What skills are essential now? And is there anything I should be learning more about? So this is a really big question. Uh, we've spoken to graduates of all different ages, backgrounds, roles and sectors since the launch of this podcast in 2019. So here's some of the highlights. I think the technology challenges are really, really interesting. I think that um, what, what is really going to be important in the future is data ethics. So if you want to become an, a data scientist, trying to learn about data ethics kind of future-proofs yourself as well. I think that the ageing workforce within Heritage means that we are not, as an industry, very strong on technology. We've got uh, young members of staff and geeks who who are kind of uh, have bringing some of that, but I think there are some real game changes going to happen. The senior management team at the Railway Museum, one or two understand like the CRM work I just spoke about, um, but most don't, and so I've got to present that information to them in a way that they understand, yeah. and I'd say that's the most crucial skill that you can have in business, no matter what your speciality is. The skill I've had to learn is to be able to just be able to sit in a cafe, pick my laptop up and dive into something straight away rather than what I used to do, especially when I was at university studying, is I'd have to sit there for like 40 minutes, an hour, get myself ready and prepped. You kind of don't have that luxury. So, Enrico, you research a lot about entrepreneurs and kind of precarious professions, these kind of things. What's your view on kind of skills for the future? What are we going to need more of? First of all, I would agree with with just what has been said about the importance of uh, of technological and digital skills. I mean, the ways in which um, technological progress has advanced and has accelerated over the course of the last decades and years 
ensures that this is really a fundamental feature. And uh, you know, if, if you if you start out now, or even if you are in mid-career level, um, it is un- inevitable uh, for most professions to be um, on top of those of those uh, challenges and to have the appropriate skills. I also think that interpersonal skills um, are very important, and they are not taken care of by this technological progress and arguably the more we can rely on technology for communication for analysis as well um, the more important become those interpersonal relations and the ability to to relate to other people to have a degree of empathy to have a degree of understanding uh, or the ability to understand how other people take and to to work with them so I do think those those skills are, are are very important I would say though that there are two other things which are really crucial in in my view. The first is, and this is something for which university prepares you, of course, very well, well, is to have analytical skills that incorporate a degree of creativity. So basic analyses of finding causal relations or correlations between uh, certain facts, I mean, that is likely to be done and is already done by artificial intelligence and some of those more menial analytical tasks, those more basic ones, um, can of course be done by um, artificial intelligence um, in, in, a, in a very efficient way and in a very effective way. But anything that involves a degree of creativity, of spotting patterns, of identifying problems and proposing solutions to problems, anything that is a little bit more high-scaled and high um, higher level of complexity will continue to require human input and I think being able to analyze a situation, being able to unpack something, identify an issue that an organization or um, a, a company is facing and proposing solutions with a degree of creativity and, um, and finding perhaps you know, pathways to tackle a problem that haven't been tried before. So this is something which is uh, absolutely fundamental. And whatever subject you have studied at university, this critical analysis, this thinking, this creativity will have been part of your studies. And therefore, um, you would be very well prepared for this. The second aspect, which I think is also quite important, is that we live in networked societies. We are part of very complex networks of interdependence, technologically, socially, economically. So whatever your job is, you will be dependent on other people and other people will depend on you. And that means whether you work in a small organization, whether you uh, work in a big one, whether you're uh, self-employed and uh, an entrepreneur and just working for yourself, solo self-employed, you need to have those abilities and those skills to coordinate work with others, to be, in a sense, able to take perhaps leadership responsibilities, but in a collegiate way. I think this idea of there being a leader at the top of an organization and uh, this leader then being in charge and making all the right decisions and being the big wise man or the big wise woman, that is not really reflecting well the reality of of organizations, which are much too complex, uh, much too, uh, too diverse to be led in this way. A good leader, for example, is someone who is able to encourage others to engage uh, in the mission of an organization, is to spot the talents of everyone, is ensuring that people are working well together. It's a bit like someone who is uh, who is coordinating an orchestra, for example. So it is a very specific skill set where those analytical skills that I've talked about and those interpersonal skills that I've mentioned come together. And as university graduates, it is indeed likely that perhaps not at the beginning of your career, but somewhere down the line, you will be taking on some kind of leadership responsibilities of sorts. And therefore, having this skill set 
around this kind of network type of leadership, this ability to be a good leader in those more complex working environments where you need to be collegiate and need to encourage people to, to give their best. I think this is also a very fundamental skill. So it's both interpersonal, but also, um, again, going back to your own um, competences, uh, being good at analyzing and solving problems. And these are, of course, all transferable skills. These are all common skills, regardless of degree program. And that is then, of course, need, needs to be combined with the more specific skills that come from the uh, subject that you have studied and where you can then combine these two things in a, in a quite productive and purposeful way. So it's kind of sounds like there aren't these magical new skills that no one's heard of that we need to be developing. It's actually using the transferable skills from degrees using your mind in different ways but I really find that interesting the point about the interpersonal relationships as well and perhaps that's even more important with the remote working etc that we still need to find ways to connect and work as a team uh, to overcome (laughs) the the unexpected challenges that can keep coming along. Um, I think that confidence using technology is something that's really important as well that it's coming across every sector so interestingly I think there's an assumption that younger people are all very confident using tech and digital um, and not everybody is so it's just taking advantage of opportunities within university or just through sort of online tutorials on YouTube or whatever not to necessarily learn how to code and that kind of stuff but just to feel confident in doing the basics understanding some of the terminology uh, and using sort of tech in different ways and I, I think also thinking about how it could be used again for different sectors. Uh, as I said, we've spoken to people across, you know, her- everything from heritage to the care sector and technology is impacting on all of those sectors. So kind of getting confident with that is a useful thing to do. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak to us today, Enrique. That was really, really interesting. I think there's a lot of food for thought there. Um, For full details of all the previous episodes that we've referenced today, I'm going to add some relevant links to the show notes and a link to the transcript of today's show. But yeah, just thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And (laughs) I hope this is helpful and reassuring to anybody who's kind of graduating at the moment and, and looking to break into their new career. Thank you for joining us this week on What Do You Actually Do? This episode was hosted by me, Kate Morris, edited by Stephen Furlong and produced by both of us. If you love this podcast, spread the word and follow us. Are you eager to get more tips? Follow University of York Careers and Placements on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. All useful links are in this episode's description. This has been produced at the University of York Careers and Placements. For more information, visit york.ac.uk forward slash careers.